But um, you know, just hold out. I think from like, next Sunday it will be somebody different. Yeah. So don't give up. Uh, if this doesn't do it for you, come back next Sunday. <laughs> I can promise you it's going to be much better. But it's so great to be able to share just, um, just some things that I've been learning. Um, and I'm not sure how you guys feel. About the last two months, Marius was talking about it in the, in the, um, in the welcome. Just the last two months, we've been, we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, you know, personally, I've never, never seen a Sermon on the Mount in this way before. And I've been a Christian for, oh my word, it's getting close, but this year, I think it'll be 29 years. And so, it's, it's, to me, it's so encouraging, you know, to know that, that scriptures that I've like, grown up with, uh, that I've heard throughout my life, that I thought, I've tried to, you know, apply in my life, that I can look at it and be again completely amazed and, and see it afresh. You know, it's, it's like, um, you guys have seen Shrek, right? You know, where, where, where Shrek was uh, explaining that he had layers and Donkey was like, or like an onion, or it's like a parfait. You know? But, you know, the Bible has layers. It's incredible. Every time you study it, you see different things. You know, it almost feels like this is a brand new story that I've never seen before. A whole, yeah. you know, three chapters, five, basically five, seven, six and seven. It's just, it's just so, much, so much more in there than I, than I previously thought, that I, that I understood before. So, you know, maybe we should start, and, and I know Malcolm does it every time, every Friday, but, but let's, let's hear some thoughts from you guys. What has stood out so far from your study uh, of, the, of the Beatitudes, of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and what we've heard in the classes. If, we can, if I can have a few people just share a few things that, that they feel has really been new and different and has, has impacted them and, and, and you know, feel moved and, and can see that there's a change within because of what, what we've learned. Are there anybody that wants to share something? Julie. That is, and, and I think everybody could hear that, uh, Julie was essentially saying, just not falling for that trap of going with the flow of the world, but, but to be different. You know, after, after um, in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus talked about loving your enemies, he said, be perfect as your Father is perfect. Now, there's, there's some debate about what that word, that perfect, really means, and there's, there's people that think, well, it's because of the Greek that, was, that Matthew was, was translated into. It was not originally written in Greek, it was Aramaic. And so it, he's, he's quoting something, a passage out of Leviticus. And in Leviticus it says, be holy as God is holy. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus also, I think in Luke, he says, be holy as my Father is holy. And that holy means be completely different. Be called out of the world. You know? And I appreciate that, Julie. It's so easy for us. I think that is probably one of the most common traps for all of us. Just to blend in. To be the chameleon Christian. Right? Guys, school, teens, I mean, how is that, right? I mean, how difficult is it to stand up and, you know, be different? I've mentioned it before. Ben, is, ben Dennett, you know, not wanting to swear and his, his friends throwing him in a bin. Uh, you know, but to me, I look at that and I think that's like an example of what it means to just not be care, not to care about whether you're different or not. And we are, there are so many pressures to want to fit in. Anything else? Maybe one of the teens wants to share something, but no pressure. Anyone else? What have you learned? What's what stood out, Don? Uh, so I, I think um, one of the um, early lessons about uh, where we were going through the Beatitudes about being meek, and I think up until that point, I think along with uh, a lot of us, you know, I didn't really understand what that really meant. Mm. I thought it was talking about being weak, and it's like, okay, well, I can be weak quite easily. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Takes no effort. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the way that Malcolm's explaining it, what it really means is, you know, about having a very deep uh, inner strength. You know, your foundation is on the rock. 
Right. And when you're, you've got God uh, at the, the centre of uh, who you are as a person and how uh, that gives you that inner strength that then um, you can, when people are being you know, uh, insulting to you or unkind <coughs> in some way, that you can uh, s- stay godly and not react to that, but you know that you can you can return the, uh, with words of kindness, right? Um, and just that uh, the the strength that that requires, but you know, God gives us that strength. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, meekness has, has also been something that's blown my mind away, just about the strength that that produces. And um, thanks a lot. Just one more, maybe. Ian. Well, I, I find that all, um, it's really refreshing. It gives us that construct. Uh, I just really enjoy being able to uh, uh, get back to the foundation of Scripture and using that as my, my light going forward. Right. So many different examples of being the light, but also starting with yourself and, and, and really in depth looking through what you're doing as a Christian. Yep. Um, and I love what, what just to repeat what you're saying, it's, it's amazing what you say is you, you are a Christian, but then you put your Monday cap on and suddenly make the business or busyness of the world and the humdrum, and you think you're doing Christian actions, and you think you're doing a Christian thing, but you slip into these little... Uh, yeah. uh, nuances of the world and then what scares me from that is as Malcolm said on Friday night is Jesus would just say oh, I see you doing these on a superficial level saying Lord Lord and you even may have even done some miracles in my name but actually your heart wasn't in it yeah. and I think that for me is just learning to, to, to apply heart to everything I do yeah. not just superficially following so that everyone can see that I'm a Christian yeah. that I should be a Christian right. everything I do Thanks, Ian. And I think if there's one thing, if there's only one thing that we take away from the study is that Jesus is only concerned about the heart. Mm. He is not bringing new commands for us to follow, new rules, right? What he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount is explaining what God all the time, all these centuries ago, meant what he said in Torah. Jesus, when he said he came to fulfill the law, doesn't mean that he's now bringing everything to an end. What that means in the Hebrew is, you, what you fulfill something is that you demonstrate it. And that's what he did. He came to demonstrate what the law of the prophets really meant. And it's all about heart. So today, we're, gonna, we've, uh, we're finishing the, the, the series. This is, the last, this is going to be the last sermon uh, on, on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and what we, want, what we want to do is we want to make sure that there's enough time for people really to think and let this soak in and chew over it. So next Friday, we've got our family group services, right? And then the Friday after that, we're going to come back and we're going we're gonna to share about how this has moved us, how this has changed us. So please use the next you know, two weeks um, to, to really think about it. Deepen your Bible study. If you feel this part of the Sermon on the Mount, if you've not kept track with, you know, go back. There's time for that. But what, what we would love to see is, is just that we are changed because of this. Not that we've learned a bunch of stuff that's quite interesting and maybe funny or whatever, but that, we've, that we are changed, we are impacted by it. Because God, Jesus got a very, very specific purpose with the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, he's, he explains what are the characteristics of his kingdom, the Beatitudes. What do those people look like? And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is, you know, what, what's going to look for you and I when we are actually living that out? And if you go to the rest of Matthew, it's actually it's a very good pattern from Matthew 8. Jesus is showing them what it looks like in his life. And so he's, he lives it out by, 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 by um, healing people and doing the miracles and, and preaching and taking on the Pharisees and, and dealing with hypocrisy and all the false teachings and all that stuff. So, so it, it's something that needs to really go deep and move us. So how does, how does it finish? How does the whole Sermon of the Mount finish? So you know, I, I, I call the... I've decided to, do, to call this sermon, How Will I Respond? You know, when everything is said and done, what does this mean? You know, what am I going to do with this? And so how does Jesus finish the Sermon on the Mount? If you look at Matthew 7 to 12, it's sort of a little bit earlier. If he, he, he starts by saying, after he's gone through, you know, just let me remember what was just preceding this bit. Um, and it's, it's what Math, uh, Malcolm was, was talking about on Friday and the previous Sundays. Uh, last, the previous Sunday we talked about ask, seek, and knock. So, so Jesus was talking about that. 
And if I can find a place in my Bible, that would be great. Um, and so, that is, he talked about our seeking love. Before that, it was about judging others, about don't worry, about the treasures in heaven, all that stuff. So, that's kind of the end of the teachings. Sort of, it's our seeking love, sort of the end of the specific teachings that Jesus is teaching in the sermon. And he finishes this section off by verse 12. He says, so in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus does an amazingly clever thing here. You know, anybody that does a lot of public speaking, and I'm not counting myself as one of those, but the people that do keynote speeches and all this stuff, they always tell you, you need sort of, you need sort of a final kind of a soundbite. You need to find, finish your speech with this one thing that people will go away and they will remember. And that will sort of just summarize everything. And this is kind of Jesus' sound bite of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the golden rule. We all know this. Do to others as you want them to do to you. I remember when, when the kids, Francois, Heinrich, and Sinead were, were small. You know, they'll come to us and say, Oh, Francois will go, Sinead did this. And, you know, and then Sinead said, Oh, but he did that. And stuff. Well, he did this to me. And we always say, Well, don't do to them what they did to you, do to them what you think you would like them to do to you. Would you like to be kicked? No. Do you want do you want somebody to take your sweets? No. Don't, don't take sweets. You know, no matter what she does. Doesn't and, and that whole principle is absolutely phenomenal. If you think about it, you cannot write enough laws. They, you, if you have to write a law to cover every single situation and eventuality in the world. How big will that book be? It will fill the whole world. I think that's, I think that's what, what, what that scripture talks about. You know, there will never be the end of writing books. Because you can't cover it all. But if you have the heart, you've got it all sorted out. This is the heart, right? The heart of the matter is that do to others what you want them to do to you. So we could say, oh, this is incredible, you know? I mean, that, that goes very far. That whole, I mean, you, we have to ask ourselves if we're at work. And your employee, somebody that works for you, makes this Himalayan blunder. And you just want to come down on them. And you've got to ask yourself, well, how do you want to be corrected? With harshness and punishment? Or would you like somebody to sit gently with you and, and talk you through that and, and have grace and mercy? You know, when you sell a car and you know there's a few niggles, some things that are wrong. Or maybe a teen wants to sell his mobile phone and you know there's water damage. And Apple is not going to fix it under warranty because there's water damage and you want to sell it. And you know, oh goodness, this, is, this thing is not 100% right, but you, you're not going to say that. I mean, if you were going to buy that phone or you're going to buy a car, would you want people to tell you, oh, listen, this thing actually shorts an exhaust pipe or, you know, it's not going to make it to the end of this road and then it's going to, you know, this gasket's going to blow. You want people to disclose those things, you know, but what do we do? You know, kind of, do we still try and take those little shortcuts? If somebody's hurt you, you know, what do you do? If you know that you've said something that's not kind, what, how would you want them to, to approach you, you know, with forgiveness, with grace and mercy? But what do we do? We do the same. And so this rule goes very far. Anyway, Jesus could have finished the Sermon on the Mount right here. This is like the humdinger, the soundbite that stops all soundbites. This is, this is the final word, and people are still quoting this comment, this thing that Jesus said here. This is the golden rule. Everybody knows about it. But he doesn't stop here. He finishes the Sermon of the Mount actually with three warnings. Right? So, he talks about the narrow gates. He talks about the true and false prophets. He talks about the wise and the foolish builders. We talked a little bit about the narrow gates or actually last Friday. The narrow wide gates. Uh, Malcolm talked about this on Friday. And I think it's important that we, I'm just going to quickly zip, zip, through, zip through them. But what helped me when we talked about this is to understand that it's sort of the wide, the roomy gate, and then the narrow, difficult one to squeeze through, you know. And, and the other thing is that if you're with the crowd, it's very easy to miss that little gate, right? Some of those gates are just like this, but you have to sort of go through those little little gates in the walls and if you see the pictures of the old of the old cities and so if you're going with the crowd you're going to miss it right so to find and jesus says not many will find it not doesn't even talk about whether you're going to enter it right it's difficult to find and so in our walk with god in our lives the question is how how will we find it are, are we looking are we even looking for what is the narrow gate? What is, what is that, that path that God wants us to follow? 
Because if we're just following the crowd, and if we are just happy, and, and um, well, I don't mean it's bad to be happy, but if you're just complacent in your life, how will you see that gate? So it, it takes a certain amount of intentionality in your life, you know, to go and look for that gate. In every situation that we face, you know, to, to look for that gate. Whoa, suddenly I'm, hear, hearing, I'm hearing voices inside my head, but it's my own. All right, so, um, you know, so think about it, you know, having to look for something. Driving in France, we love our, our long road trips. Some people have, you know, heard about these, these epic road trips that we like to take. And we usually drive through France because if you want to drive through Europe, you've got to go through France first. And the motorways there are crazy. I don't know if you've noticed it. One thing that drives me nuts is you take an off-ramp. And the moment you're off the motorway, it's 70 or 50 kilometers an hour immediately. And then, it, and then it curls around. And so you've got to be so aware. But not really, that's not really my point. The other thing is that you get some off-ramps that take you on the inside of another motorway. And then you've got to take another one. So you've got, you, you get, you go off the one motorway. I, I know there's a few junctions like this. So you go off the motorway, you go around. But remember, you're driving on the right-hand side of the road. So you go off, you come around, then it feeds you into the left-hand lane of this four or five lane, and then you've got to take the next off-ramp that's like half a mile. And then you've got, to, you've got to zoom right across the lane. And you're thinking, Waze, what's going on? My family will tell you that because I use the Waze app. Whether it's Waze or Google Maps or whoever you use, I'm having a constant fight with this thing because there's always, there's always like half a second delay, right? It tells me I need to drive and turn, and then I've already turned, and I'm like, oh, it says, oh my goodness, I, I keep on messing the off ramps. But if you if you navigate these really complicated things, and you know you're like on one motorway now, and you've got to go right in the next one, you've got to zoom across all those lines. How, you know, attentive do you need to be? Because I'm going to mess that off ramp for sure, even with ways. Ways doesn't always help me, and. Um, you know, so for the narrow gate, we have to be intentional. It's a, it's a constant attitude we need to have. So that was warning number one. And so warning number two, the, the true and the false prophets. So again, Malcolm touched on that. You know, we talked about how do you know whether, whether, whether there's a, a false prophet. What Jesus says is you look at, his, at their lives. Now this is quite interesting that I've, that I've read about is, you know, you've all heard about orthodox, orthodox religions or churches, but in Greek, the orthodoxy means right belief, the right doctrine. And so I think the issue here that Jesus is talking about is not just whether the doctrine is right, but the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is about whether the practice is right. So it's orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Both those things need to be there. And I think... That's one of the first first places we need to look at is if somebody is saying something new and nice and oh it sounds fantastic and you know you just need to do this and then that happens or you you know just just pray this prayer and you'll get rich or you know if you pray in this certain way and you say these certain words you know you'll be healed right it's like it sounds fine it sounds great but but where's the practice is that what Jesus came to tell us how to have new and fancy ways. No, he came, to, he came to show us how to live different lives. And so that's very important. You know, we've got to discern what we listen to, who we listen to, you know, what we want to adopt. And the best way to, to do is look at their lives. You know, if I want to, if I want to hear what the preacher is saying, and I see that it's something different, the first thing I'm trying to look at is, but what does his life look like? You know, because that is the, the proof of the pudding. So, so warning number three, num warning number three, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father will be <coughs> Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And they will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from you, you, you evildoers. We know the scripture, right? But, you know, is, is this paper maybe sometimes describing us? Because it's easy to say, Lord, Lord, it's easy to be religious. But again, what is Jesus looking for? What is he looking for? He says there, he gives us a clue. He says, only he who does the will of my Father. Right, and we're going get to get to that later. I mean, 
the will of my Father? How do I know what that is? Jesus continues, and then he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Right? Now, so this is what Jesus is linking these two passages. I've always read these two, you know, I've always read them separately. I always said, okay, this is right, you know. We can't just be... We can't just be religious. We've got to find out what's the truth. We've got to live out the truth. I think it's a little bit more than that. Jesus says it's, it's really about your whole life. Your whole life. You know, how are you building? So, what is Jesus talking about? This, the building on the sand and building on the rock. You know, in fact, he's not really giving very, very unique and new advice here for, for the building in the industry. This, this is kind of kind of common sense. sense. Let, me, let me show you what I mean. I don't know if you can see this properly. So, so in Palestine, those who have not been there, um, it's very, very dry. Right? There, there are not many rivers. You've got the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee to the north of it, the Dead Sea to the south of it. That's about it. And so the rest of the, of the country is really, really dry. There's a few brooks here and there. But the whole country is full of what they call wadis. Now, Wadi is just a dry creek, right? There's no water in there. But between, between these rocky outcrops, you've got these little gullies and valleys. And in them, below in the bottom of them, that's sandy. And that is actually the only sand you get in this part of the world. The rest is just rock. It's rocks all over the place. The sands you get within these wadis. And what are these wadis? They become torrents of raging rivers when there are flash floods. So, so during the winter in Palestine it rains a lot at times and then all the water is running down into these little gullies and they collect and they come down eventually in these wadis and they, they stream down to the sea. And so that's what, what's, that's what Jesus is saying. He says, if you are putting my, if you hear my words, now everybody's hearing his words. Both these two situations, they are hearing Jesus' words. The one situation they're actually putting into practice and they're building it on the rock, which is up here. That's the rock. Because the, the, the word used here in Greek is bedrock. It's not just on a rock. It's not on a pebble. It's not on a, a rocky place. It's on bedrock. And here, on top here, this is a bedrock. This has been, all the sand has been worn off. This is, this is over millennia and millennia. The rock has remained. And that's where Jesus says, you build there. Because if you build down here, you know, it's not going to last. And everybody, I think, who heard this, like, yeah, obviously, no one builds a house there. We've seen what, what happens when it starts raining and the water comes down. Who is such an idiot to do that? I think that's the point. You know, everybody knows it. It's common sense. And it should be the same with Jesus' teachings. It's common sense. It should be common sense. But we, we obfuscate and confuse the issue so much. You know, sometimes we just get lulled into this position of, a feeling we've got this closeness with God that's built on some emotional experience. Or I go to church, or I do X, Y, or Z, and I've got my religious things in place. And I can carry on with my life, because at least those things are there. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. What does it mean to build on the sand? Let's, let's get some responses, if you, uh, if you guys are still awake. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry if I'm talking to sleep. So... What, what does it look like to build on the sand? Ruan, you raised your hand. Do you want to answer? No. Yes. So what does, what, do I, what does it mean for us to build on the sand? All right, so what does Jesus say? He says, it's hearing and not obeying. That is the, that is the problem. You know, or maybe, maybe we, we're obeying partially, like the story of the rich young man. He came to Jesus and said, hey, hey, good teacher, how's it going? I like you. You know, I think we, we're like this a little bit, aren't we? We're like close. We're like almost like brothers. So, I'm okay, right? I can go to heaven, can't I? Because I do this and this and this and this. I honor my father and mother. I give the tenths and blah, blah, blah. I give the, keep the Sabbath. 
Right, so maybe we're a bit like that. We're like, well, I, I believe in Jesus and I've you know, done all the things I think I should do. And you know, I've kind of done the things that Jesus must think is important in my life. So, so we're okay, aren't we? Sure. But you know, so partial obedience is really, really dangerous because it lulls you to get into a sense of false security. So we can be excellent in religious activities, but not do God's will. I think this is the key. Where is the love? You know, if I have to look at my own life, that's the, that's the thing that most often um, I neglect. You know, fortunately I'm married to a very loving wife. And, uh, and, and, and this is something over the years that she's pointed out. You know, I will go on and on about amazing religious and spiritual concepts. But it's pointless if there's no love. She's often pointed out and said, you know, when last did you study out love? Because I can see how you talk to certain people. I can see how you deal with the kids. There's not a lot of love there. Right? So how pointless are all these other fanciful things that I'm trying to do and all these concepts I'm trying to study. And I'm feeling so great in my quiet times because I'm learning so much. Yeah, this is amazing. And in the end, it's absolutely useless. You know, I'll be like one of those guys that Jesus says, hey... Yeah, you said, Lord, Lord, but I don't know you. You've, you've followed a different Lord. you followed the Lord of rules, of religious concepts, of fanciful, charismatic singing and funny stuff. But you didn't follow me because I am about the heart. I'm not about religion. I'm not about miracles. I'm not about making people rich. I'm not about healing people. I'm about healing hearts. That is what I'm about. And so in the end, if my life doesn't reflect that, I've wasted all these decades. I could have played golf every Sunday. Not that I'm a golfer. I could have done all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, my life could have, I could have, I could have plowed my life into other things that may, maybe have caused more fun. You know, may I, I could have had more fun. But now I'm going to church every Sunday and every Friday and have family group activities and all sorts of stuff. How sad would it be at the end of my life when Jesus says, Dude, who are you? You're just, you're just on a different plane, man. You've been religious. I don't see any of the Beatitudes in your heart. Come on, Rudy. Right? That is so sad. Right, we become experts, excuse makers. Maybe you guys have Googled some of these excuses. You know? The world's best excuses for speeding. Like this is one guy that said, um, oh, officer, I wasn't speeding. We're filming. We're filming Batman. The other guy said, officer, um, it just looks like I've been speeding. I just had a haircut. haircut. So it looks like I'm going really fast. Another guy said, listen, um, I'm sorry, officer. Did I speed? Oh, oh dear me. I don't know how the speedometer works. I've got dyslexia. Right? I mean, and these are real recorded excuses. But let's, let's get back to the real matter. What excuses are we making when it comes to following Jesus? Right? I know what Jesus says, but I'm too busy. Look at these kids. They're driving me nuts. I have to drive all over the place, up and down Berkshire, and sometimes Hampshire, and sometimes Surrey as well. All these activities. You want me to come to a family group? You want me to commit myself to discipling and helping other people? Looking after young Christians? Excuse me? You've got to be kidding me. You've not seen my schedule. Let me take that final facts out. There's not a single blank space in there. Anyway, you know, busyness, demanding job, all these things. Ah, and we all got them, right? We all got them. You know, we all have to know what it feels like to make excuses for not putting Jesus first. Now, what about, I find it difficult to trust. I can't really commit myself to these relationships because oh, what if they hurt me, right? That's kind of valid. And a lot of people have been hurt, and so I don't want to make fun of that. But is it, is it real or is it an excuse? I don't fit in. There's no one in church that relates to me. I, my situation is just so different. I remember I felt like that when we came to this country. Here I am, complete idiot when it comes to being married. I've just been married. I suddenly had three kids, so I know nothing about raising kids. I know nothing about marriage, and I don't know what, anything about living in the UK. So all those, all those three things happened at once. 
I'm in a really demanding job, but what I felt, I felt very alone. I felt, who on earth can relate to me? And I used that as an excuse. I used it as an excuse not to try and find help. And my poor wife and the kids, they suffered for many years while I idiotically trying sort of the same thing over and over, like a you know, real idiot, and, and, and bumping my head against the same walls over and over. It took, it took years for me to, for the message to sink in, you know. You don't know what you're doing, dude. Find out, get help. Um, but maybe I'm not the only one. Maybe I use stuff like that to, to keep me from actually actively seek, seek that narrow door. Actively seek to build on that rock. Right, so, hey, no one else is really doing it, even in church. <laughs> Who is still inviting people to church? Who is still evangelizing? Come on, dude, are you crazy? You want me to walk around and talk to people about Jesus? Come on, this is the 21st century. It doesn't it anymore. Right, so, so that's maybe one, you know. Just because somebody is not doing it, exactly how is that improving your situation? Explain that to me. Well, explain it to me, right? I make the same excuse. I'm like, oh, things have moved on a bit. You know, discipling? Really? You want me to go talk to that brother about what he did? Do you want me to really confess this to someone? You know, one of these things, have, we, have they become old-fashioned? We know they are true. It's just excuses, right? So why don't we retire the excuse-making? Yeah. What would happen then? How will our lives be different if we just stop making so many excuses? Get back to the Bible, really take the Sermon on the Mount seriously, and, and, and start putting those things into practice. What about wanting to follow Jesus on my own terms? Yes, Jesus, I can hear what you say, but I'll do this and that. You know, sure, I can see this makes sense for some, but I think I'll do it this way. So, you know, lots to think about, I think. Right, procrastination. And this is a big one for youngsters, right, teens? Hey, Nathan, good job for making the decision, man. When I was your old or your age, dude, man, no chance. I'm like, yeah, I know I need to become a Christian one day, but when I'm old, like I'm now, I'll do it when I'm old, when life has kind of passed me by, you know, and I've got nothing really to live for, and there's nothing, nothing that I'm going to miss out anymore. Then I'll give it a shot. But you know, we're not promised tomorrow, in fact, not even the next five minutes. You know, so procrastination, you know, it's, it's no good. No good. It's just another excuse. The road to hell paved with good intentions. You know, when are you going to repent? Tomorrow? Well, you're not going to. If you're not going to repent today, right now, you will not repent because tomorrow has, has another tomorrow. And another tomorrow. And that just into the future. Right. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only he. No one else. Only you does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right, so what does it mean to build on the rock? Right, what does it mean? It starts with the right kind of hearing, right? So, we sit in church, most of us, twice a week. That's amazing. Well done, guys. You know, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but I'm thinking about myself. You know, how much must I, must I hear before I'm moved? You know, what kind of hearing do I have? You know, what do we need? We need active listening, wanting to hear, wanting to hear. Not, not wanting to find out how, how, what can I ignore or just put aside that doesn't, I can argue that it doesn't really apply to me or my situation. Because that's often what we do. It's like, yeah, we listen. It's like, mm -hmm -hmm. oh, that's good for, that's good for Marius. Uh, oof, I hope Donna's listening. Or my wife. Yeah, that's definitely one for my wife. <laughs> How much am I listening and saying, that is really me? Not just, not just in that religious sense, we're in the moment, but really, this is me. And you take that out of here, and, and, you, and you are changed because of what you heard. It's, it, it, it's tied back to the Beatitudes, guys. All this stuff starts with the three, first three Beatitudes. If you're poor in spirit, you know where you are, man. You know how much you need God. There's, you can't hide. You know, you're standing before God. You know what's going on in your life. And you know how much you need. <coughs> right, there we go. Thanks a lot. Um, and so, you know, so poor in spirit. 
The next one is mourning. Once you see your sin, you understand the damage it causes. So you won't change before you don't understand the damage your sin causes. How much it hurts God, how much it's cost Him already, and you are keep on putting Jesus on the cross by not repenting, and the people around you. And then the third one, the meekness. Don is talking about. Once you get to that point, you're, you know, God is in control of my life. And that leads us to the hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's only then do we listen with the, with the right ears, with hungry ears. I like that. Hungry ears. These ears are just one ear. What is Jesus' words? With the intention of finding that narrow gate. Not just because it's such nice words. Oh my goodness. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, there's a story of, of a preacher that preached the Sermon on the Mount sermon. It went worldwide. Everybody wanted to hear it. This is decades ago. And apparently still, this guy is asked to come and deliver this sermon. And people want to hear it. It's like listening to chamber music. Like all these fantastic words is floating through the room and through me. And I just feel whoa, elevated and so inspired. But people want to hear it, but they don't really want to put it into practice. Right? So we're talking about ears that want to listen with intent of being transformed. What does it look like when we listen like that? One or two comments. What does it look like when we listen like that? World peace. <laughs> world peace. If we could all listen to that, the whole world, that's right. But what will joy? I think um, there's a transformation that people can see. Yeah. Right. I mean, how will our attitude be in approaching other brothers and sisters in a fellowship if we've got hungry ears? Well, perhaps what we'll do is we'll ask, brother, sister, what do you see about the Sermon on the Mount that, that's not reflected here in this old hard heart of mine? There must be lots. Are we still asking, having those conversations? Are we open to it? Oh, what about somebody come to you and say, brother, I don't really see a lot of love here. I didn't see a lot of forgiveness. In fact, I see a lot of excuse making. I didn't see a committed heart that's completely sold out for Jesus. How will you take that if somebody told, tell you that? In this culture where nobody is allowed to tell anyone what to think or do or say. Right? That is the biggest sin here. This, one of my friends said that, that all views are acceptable except the view that says all views are not acceptable. <laughs> right, so... No, wrong way. Okay, so the next thing is, what does it mean to build on a rock? It means following uh, by practicing the words of Jesus. Practicing. You know, Malcolm said in his notes on this, when you get it, you'll, you'll read it. It's, he says, um, and it's a, it's a way that, that the British talk that I don't always understand. He says, visiting B&Q will not pat you bold. Now, what I get from that is by going to B&Q, if you need some work at your house, just visiting B&Q, whether it's online or in person, that's not going to get the pat to your belt. It's not going to fix your wall or your ceiling or whatever it is. Just by visiting this place, this amazing temple of DIY, right? So I'm there and it's going to diffuse into me and I'm going to leave there and the pat to you will be built. Right? I mean, it's not going to happen, right? But we think that's what's going on here in church. We... Or even our Bible study, we kind of just douse ourselves with some spirituality. Bring it on. Yes, I want some more love. I want some more righteousness. I want some more, some more commitment. I want some more peace, some more grace. And I'm going to walk out here, and boy, I'm going to be changed. I will be magically transformed. Now, I'm making fun of it a little bit, but in some sense, obviously, what we hear in God's Word changes us. But it doesn't really last. You know, so that emotion kind of wanes. By the time I'm going home and I'm sort of going through Wokingham, suddenly that conviction is just such a touchless. By the time I hit Nine Mile Ride where I live, I kind of forget because I'm already thinking, oh my goodness, I better, you know, go through these emails before work tomorrow because I will not have enough time tomorrow. It's gone, guys. It's gone. Right? By the time I sit in front of the TV tonight, I have to be like, what do we talk about? What do I talk about? I can't remember. <laughs> right? So... You know, so it's, 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 it's about putting it into practice. You know, the question is, are we even clear what we're building? Are we clear on that? 
And well, obviously, what are we building on? But what are we building here? You know, what is the purpose of the Sermon of the Mount? Jesus brought it to help us understand that he's bringing a new re revolution to the world. Do we see it? Do we see it that way? That this is how we will repair and put the world back together. If we can all be like this, God can use us for this incredible, incredible mission. Right? He wants to build this incredible temple, his kingdom on this planet. Right? I mean, are we clear what we're building on? This is also important. Because we can't just carry on and sort of say, well, kumbaya, you know, we'll feel great and happy now and we're going to be living in peace. It, it doesn't work. It's only through Jesus. You know, in Ephesians 20, it says, um, and I love this passage. Wait, I've got a bookmark. There we go. So it says in, 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 in Ephesians 2, verse 20, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. That is what we're building. God's household. That is what Nathan is put into today, later today. Amen. This is momentous, guys. This is huge. And that is what we need to bring the world into. This is how we change the world. There's no other thing. Ian said world peace. You know, Trump and all these guys can forget. None of those plans of these have ever helped Palestine and will never because those guys don't want peace. Right? They have their issues and they fight for that. That's not going to change anything. Polit politics will not be the solution, but this is. And this is what we're building. If we, if we get this dream, obviously we will say, wow, let's build on that rock, guys. Let's build on that rock. And let's get other people to build on this rock. And what would it look like when you build like this? I guess I don't have to tell you anymore. This is what we are, what we are working together. But now you're asking me, but, you know, Jesus says, only he who does the will of my Father. What does that mean? How do I know what is God's will for me? Well, guys, stop praying for better understanding and pray for the heart to put into practice what Jesus is saying. Shortcut. That's it. Short and sweet. Forget about sitting and figuring it out. It's not about figuring it out. It's about Jesus performing the miracles. He performs the miracles as we do what he says. It's as simple as that. It's simple obedience. I guess it all comes down to this thing about building on the sand or the rock. It's about one simple word. Obedience. We don't like that word, do we? Kids, you don't like that word. Teens, students. Hey, no matter how old you are, you don't like that word. It's not a nice word to hear. And it's not nice to be told that you need to obey. But I guess, you know, what we do is we spend so much time trying to circumvent this principle. It is just laughable. Our, our lives are spent thinking about how we can obey the minimum. Yeah. Is that building on the rock? Uh, it doesn't sound like that to me, but hey, I'm guilty of that. <coughs> Trying to see, okay, if I do X, Y, or Z, kind of I can live with that. That's okay. Great. Don't ask me the other stuff. It's just not, but, but at least I can show that, you know, I am there. I'm in Jesus' team, man. I'm there. I'm together. We're brothers. No, it's not enough. You know, the wise man, the wise man builds to withstand everything. Now remember, this whole story about there's floods. The floods will come. The floods will come. Some of them of our own making. Some just because of circumstances we can't control. But they will come. And, um, you, know, you know, on a personal level, I, I face some storms later this year uh, financially. That's, you know, we're trying to figure out how we're going to deal with it. It, it can be momentous if if the, the worst happens, you know, so Lizelle and I have been talking about this and she's amazing with just helping me, you know, just focus on God and he's going to sort it all out. Amen. You know, and in the end, you've got to ask yourself if everything is stripped away from you, what's left? If you lose everything that you hold so dear, you know, I don't want to talk about that, it's awful to think about it, your family, your, your loved ones, so, so we all know that's serious, but what just about your own life? What about your job? What about not being able to find a job ever again in your life? And having to live off benefits or looking in other people's eyes for handouts. What about, you know, not being able to drive that car that you really like ever? To, 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 to just make peace with it 
There are certain things you'll never get. No matter how hard you work, you'll just never get it. And that's something I needed to ask myself, because I realized, well, there's so many things. If, I, if my income suddenly drops for whatever reason, significantly, well, will I be able to be joyful still? Will I still give everything and more than I'm doing now? Will I actually, will my devotion keep on growing? Or will I kind of think, well, you know, God's not entirely on my side yet, is he? So maybe I'll pull back a little bit. That's honestly how I felt the last week or two. And so that is not building on the rock, guys. That is just looking at my own situation and trying to save my own skin and, and all those nasty stuff that you guys hopefully also know about. So how will I respond? So what is this? Is this the impossible dream? I want to read this quickly. We have seen a world where people... Now, if you think about what, this, what the world would look like, if people live out the Sermon on the Mount and have the heart described in the Beatitudes, right? Then we have, we have seen, then we'll see a world where people are committed, committed to showing mercy, making peace and enduring ugly opposition with grace and even joy. A world where ordinary people come ex become extraordinarily distinctive and like salt and light have extraordinary impact. We have seen a world where heart is more important than performance, where being technically right is not nearly as important as being inwardly, inwardly right. A world where people want to resolve every conflict, forgive every wrong, love every enemy. A world where no one cares about getting the credit, where things done in secret brings even more satisfaction than things announced in the headlines. We have seen a world where God rules, where His kingdom has come into the hearts of people and where doing His will is really all that matters. A world where people are not anxious because they are confident about what they've got with God. Right, so we've seen this, but you know, how, how do we view this? Is it the impossible dream? As our response, no way man, can't possibly live like this, You've got to be kidding me. This is like one of those fairy tales. It's like this absolute ideal, and you ask me to try and live like this, it's just not possible. You don't know me, you don't understand my heart, and it's just unreasonable to expect me to live like that. Maybe, wow, this is a great idea. We should discuss this more. Let's continue this series the rest of the year, man. I want to hear more about the Sermon of the Mount. I want to hear about it every day. Yes, Jesus, I agree, it's fantastic. Or, boy, it's challenging, but it's God's will, and I want it with all of my heart. So where are we? Ooh, I'm losing my thesis. Right, so, and that's my challenge today, is after we've heard all this, how will we respond? Jesus... Jesus ends with this. He says, uh, or the last bit in, that, in the Sermon on the Mount says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their leaders, but, uh, sorry, their teachers of the law. Guys, Jesus is inviting us to trust him, to build our house on the rock. Building our house on the rock takes the same intentionality as finding that narrow gate. And we will not do this if we do not fully trust Jesus. And that is what I love about this. The way that Jesus talks about the law. Because now remember the, con the context here. He's talking about Jews whose frame of reference is the law. Only the Old Testament. They've only seen a God. And many of them probably thought they only know a vengeful God. That's asking them to follow these rules. And if they miss one rule, they have to slaughter a cow or whatever. You know, that's what they are used to. But they have missed the heart of God all along. What Jesus was showing them, he came to show them was what God's heart was like all along. This is the God we are serving. This is the God you're supposed to be serving. The God that brought the law is a God of love. The God of the law is the God that absolutely is rooting for you. He loves you. He's, he's crazy about you. And he's on your side. And so, what Jesus is teaching us is that we can trust God completely, entirely. And when we trust Him, we can, we can make those difficult decisions. We can commit our lives to build on that rock. So 
So let's join Jesus. Let's take him up on his, on his invitation. Let's trust him completely with all our lives and put this into our lives into practice. Thanks a lot. I'm going to... I'll close up just with a, with a word of prayer um, and then we'll take up the communion. So I'll just pray for, for the communion um, as well. Dear Lord, thank you so much just for, for your heart. Lord, you, you've come to the earth to, to show us just, just who you really are, who, who God is. You've shown us uh, your heart. Uh, you've shown us how you are concerned about our hearts and not about our performance, not about the things we do, the, the tick boxes that we love to put into each activity to say, oh, that's all right, at least I've done these things, and so I'm okay. You, you, you're not that God. You're the God that, that has stepped out of heaven, who has humbled himself to become a dirty human being, walking dusty footpaths and getting spat on, getting insulted, getting mistreated and getting crucified. Lord, you are an amazing God and thank you so much for showing us what it means to completely lay down your life. I pray, Lord, that, that, we, will, that we will be inspired by you to lay down our lives in turn for, for you and for one another. Um, I, at this point, I want to pray about the communion and I want to pray about the cross because that is what makes this possible. Thank you so much, Jesus, for not shrinking back. Thank you so much for not making those excuses that we make. Thank you so much for not partially obeying like we often do. Thank you, Lord, for not being like us, but showing us who we can be. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us and empowering us to be like you and showing us the way. Help us, Lord, through, the, through this, this week that we will take the message of the cross with us and realize that it's all about following you and not just being familiarized with you and not about soothing our consciences through some arbitrary religious deeds, but that we will completely honor you with our lives. Amen.